Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Adriana Lozada. She is an advanced birth doula, a postpartum educator, child sleep consultant, and creator and host of the Birth Fool podcast. We are grateful to hear her birth story today, along with reflections on her work in the Birthful podcast. Hello, Adriana. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited. I don't get to tell my story often, so that's like a flip, right? I usually hear the stories. Yeah. Yes. It's also nice to... um be in community with other uh, birth story podcasters, right? Like, yay. <laughs> um, and you've been you've been doing this work uh, for a while, but we'll get to that in a second. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. So I am originally from Venezuela and I had the honor and I guess the, the yeah, the blessing of being a having been raised in different cultures and different places. So I lived some years here in the U.S. during middle school and I went back to Venezuela and I did like a gap year in Japan and I did my undergraduate in Montreal. So I've been able to see lots of different ways of living. And I think that's been really helpful for the work that I do when as a doula and and, and being able to help families through that. And so my background is in journalism and communications and everything flipped when I have my child and that put me in the course towards birth work. I've been a birth doula for 14 and a half years now and I've been doing the Birthful podcast for six and a half, which is, I can't even believe that's that's the case, right? Yeah. If, if the podcast was a kid, it's about to start first grade. So that, that blows my mind. Um, I also do education, postpartum preparation education and birth education with an emphasis on having people own their birth, support their physiology, and really center their experience. Because I believe people are the experts in themselves. And birth is physiological. It's not an emergency. It's an emergence. Ooh. (laughs) Yes. Oh, Yes felt that (laughs) that's a shirt it's a book it's all the things things. just in that statement right there oh my gosh Adriana can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy yeah so that was a, a little bit of a roller coaster because it started I was very type a focused goal oriented and just you know always focusing on the goal and succeeding, quote unquote, whatever that means. Um, Not so much focused on process, but in achieving. Like that was my background and that that's how I lived my life. And so having a child was something that was part of one more thing I would do. It did feel like, yes, and have a a kid. And I didn't realize how much it was going to transform me and the transformative power of becoming a parent. Um, So my pregnancy, I did not have any of this knowledge that I have now. I didn't know anything about pregnancy or having kids. And I started to read the books and gobble up the information because that was the way that, I mean, still today, that's the way I do things. (laughs) Um, The more I learned, sort of the angrier I got at the fact that 
people who give birth are treated like vessels and how much of their autonomy is taken away and how much fear there is in the process. And I, and, and by gathering the information, I was feeling that. So that's what like was happening in my mind, in my approach of how to prepare for this. At the same time, my husband and I had just gotten, we, I'm all about like jumping in the net shell of pier and taking adventures. So we had been living on a sailboat for almost a year. And um, that, <laughs> I'm going to sound crazy to people, but the we the idea was to sail from from Florida to Venezuela, and that year the winds were not in our favor and not in anybody's favor. The um, I don't know if you've ever been sailing, but that's like a brisk walk. That's the speed you go when you sail. And I had I had never been sailing in my life before. I mean, not really, but my husband is a sailor, and so we're like, yeah, let's move on to the sailboat and. So we got as far as the southernmost tip of the Bahamas and then the weather window to jump from from Georgetown to Turk and Caicos never came and boats were just piling up and piling up and accumulating and everybody was like like okay, okay when when can we keep going when can we jump on this journey and then we got into hurricane season and that's the I mean, we're adventurous, but not stupid. So that's no time to go into into the Caribbean. So the wind was going north. It wasn't, and it was like, okay, I can't sail to Venezuela. Let's have a baby instead. So that happened. Um, but we, it, it sounds like I was like, just uh, I was in my 30s, right? Like we were in our 30s. It wasn't, we were happy to have a kid and it was part of the plan. We just decided, okay, why not now? Um but all that to say, the first half of my pregnancy, I was coming back, like the first month or so was on a sailboat and then was in a marina and then in Florida. And finally, we moved to Rochester, which is where my uh, husband's from, because I needed a house. There were too many hurricanes threatening my house. And I was pregnant. I'm like, no, please. Um and so when I finally, so that was, by the time I got to Rochester and found uh, midwifery care and kind of settled in, we were moving. I was in a new place. Um, half my pregnancy had gone by. Like there was a lot of moving parts. And so I, I tell that big story because I want to put it into the frame of mind of I'm trying to find all the information I can at that time to find the way to do this. At the same time, truthfully, I had no deep-rooted village. And so that was the dichotomy for me. And so I had a lot of book knowledge that I was gathering, but very little heart knowledge, if you will. Because there is a difference. Huge difference. <laughs> There's a huge difference. Um, and when, I mean, like you, you sharing that, I think it highlights for folks, especially about birth and parenthood, about like you can have as many books, you can have all the knowledge, but when you're not centered in yourself and what that experience is going to be for the overall transformation and shift as a, as an individual and during that process, you're not fully prepared as possible. <laughs> you're not. And then like, like the books are not going to, are not telling you, like now we're talking about the transformation, but 16 years ago, we weren't. So that was nowhere to be seen. And I didn't have people around me that would say, hey, by the way, 
this is what they don't tell you. It's not about the baby. It's all about you. Um, and also highlighting that I had, because of all that, a lot of uh, risk factors for postpartum mood, uh, po- postpartum, what am I talking about? Postpartum um, mood disorders. So like moving during the year that you're pregnant or um, not having the village, that those things are risk factors for postpartum mood uh, disorders. And I definitely felt that afterwards. Um, so you sp- you're speaking about your prep. Um, in reading the books, um, you described a little bit about, you know, getting frustrated and getting angry. So when you did get in a space where like you were able to get your midwifery care, what did overall preparation for the actual birth look like? Yeah. And so I was running out of time as well um, by the time I got to midwifery care. So um, the books did help me in getting me into that mindset of, hey, wait, this is messed up and I need to figure out how to advocate for myself and be more proactive here. So that was helpful. Uh, Hensi Goer's The Thinking Woman's Guide to Childbirth, I think, is if I remember right, the book. That one was really instrumental for me. But then I had the midwifery care and then my midwife suggested I take a Bradley course. And so that was helpful to an extent. Um, but that was about it. We didn't get a doula. We didn't get a bigger level of support, which if you ask my husband, he's like, yeah, that was not, we should have gotten a doula. Uh, but it was also part of what propelled me to then become a doula. So there you go. Yeah. Can you describe your birth experience for us? Ah, yes. So uh, I need to back up a little bit and say my baby was breached the whole time. So at 37 weeks, I do thank my midwife for saying, um, you know, she's been breached and she's been breached the whole time. So how about we do an ECV? And I had no idea what that was, right? Or that even existed. So the doctor that did them at our, the hospital, fortunately, he had a really great success rate. Like his success rate was about 60%. And it is an art. Sort of the more you do it, the more you do it. And never at any point did they come at me with fear based of, you know, this might not work. Or it was just matter of fact, like, you'll come in, we'll do this, and that'll be that. And that's how. I was feeling it in my body. So we did. We went in. I didn't do an epidural or anything because that was something that was, it was offered, but it didn't seem necessary. Um, It just felt like a lot of pressure, especially if she was going transverse. And then they did it, they had to do it twice because the first time they pushed her to the right and to the, to the right and she went 360. And the doctor said, I've never seen this happen. Of course you have it. And then take a breath, make sure her heart beats okay. Then we did it the other way around and it works. She stayed. Um, and she stayed like that. I went home and then she was head down until 41 weeks when that's when my labor started. And it started around four in the morning. And that it was my favorite moment because it was like the secret between my daughter and I, of these wee hours of the night, and this is starting, and I haven't told anybody, and nobody knows, and it's just the two of us, and here we go. 
then about an hour later, I'm like, oh, it seems like it's sticking around, these little cramps. And so I woke up my husband. Now, because it was 41 weeks, um, I had that day, exactly, I was scheduled for a non-stress test and an, and an ultrasound just to verify that everything okay. <sighs> Nowadays, I would have flat out refused it because I'm in labor. But then I we waited until 8 a.m. and called the midwives and said, hey, this is happening and we have an appointment. Should we cancel it? And they say, come in anyways in case labor stops. And then, you know, we need that information, which I get. But in retrospect, it was really disruptive because I was in early labor and I had to get myself to the hospital and do a non-stress test. And they were booked. They were packed. Um so once the results were in or the, the tech had done all the, the, the ultrasound, the midwives was, was too busy to talk to me right then. So it was like, can you go have breakfast? Can you go and come back? And so we did, which was nice. We went to a diner and I stuffed my face with eggs and uh, toast and all the things. Um, that was nice. Then when we came back, I came back and I think we weren't communicating clearly or I didn't know that was a possibility. That's where a doula would have been really helpful in that I came in and said, I need to talk to the midwife, uh, midwife, I'm here to talk to the midwife. And they thought I was like, I'm in labor and needing to do triage. So they were like, oh, yeah, sure, let's go back. And I went through the whole nonsense of triage of the 20 minute labor uh, strip of baby's heartbeat and having the vaginal check and the whole bit. And then they're like, well, you're in early labor. It's too early to. And I'm like, I'm not here for this. I was just going to talk to her for results. I didn't need to do all this triage thing. I know. So that was some confusion then. Um, So we went home. Now, what was really hard was The way she was positioned, I had persistent back labor, meaning during contractions and in between contractions, there was a relentless pressure on my back. So that was a really kind of doubled up level of intensity because the contractions had their intensity, but then her head just jamming into my back had another level. Um, And... I, oh my gosh, we had made this plan of having people over for dinner. My mom was, she came up from Venezuela and my sister was studying in Australia and she came um, for the birth. She had been there for a couple of weeks. And so my mom was going to make this chupe, which is this chicken and cheese cube soup that is fantastic and delicious and I don't eat anymore because now I'm vegetarian (laughs) for several years but my friends of the family wanted to eat it and my mom's like I'll make the chupa and so we got home and she starts cooking this and the house is reeking of chicken while I'm in labor and there's nothing to do about it I didn't even mention it to her because I was like I'm gonna make her feel bad and there's nothing we can do so just do this while I'm having this insane back labor and the way that I labored all day long was it was so much that I just sat on the top the top of the stairs while my sister rubbed my lower back and my husband was just like in my face reassuring that's point two of 
wish we had a doula because the doula wouldn't have let me just sit all day. What would not let me would have suggested I do other things to take care of that insane back pressure instead of just sitting all day long and grinning and burying it. Um, but I did that until around 7 p.m. where contractions finally got to that mythical 511, <laughs> right? Like all the things I didn't know. Oh my gosh. I wish I could go back to my pregnant self and go like, here, let me do like your own labor here. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I, we got to 511, called in and say, they said, yeah, come to the, come to the hospital. Um, and so we did. And when I got there, I was like four centimeters, which to me was so disheartening disheartening, even though that's a good progress. But in my mind, I, I, again, didn't know. And I was like, it took this long to get to four. How many more hours and how much more intensity is it going to get to to get to 10? And so anyways, I was group strep B positive. So once I got there, that was the first order of business of getting some antibiotics. And that took a really long time um, and it was painful and just annoying. I think there's so many things in the process of putting birth in the hospital that I understand why they're done and we're very thankful for them most of the time, but they kind of go head to get head against physiology. And so, yeah, it's not a big deal, but it's annoying and you're in labor. Um, so that took about an hour to drip. And then finally, um, once that was done, I was definitely getting, getting up there close to, to transition. I, um, was throwing up and pooping and it was coming out every end. And then, so my husband and midwives are cleaning me up. It was, I felt like, so, so there's shame and feelings of uselessness. And also you're like worn out. Oh my God, all the feelings right then. Um, my midwife suggested I get into the tub. Now I'm itty bitty. I'm five feet. So this tub was way too big for me. I'm sure other people would really appreciate it, but I had a hard time because I had to brace myself with my feet in order to be able to not sink down. And the tub kept emptying. So the water would come down. And I, I just felt like like I was like, I don't know, un pollito mojado, a wet chicken. <laughs> it just felt like, I'm just so sad, right? <laughs> You're trying to labor this. Now. So needless to say, the tub did not work for me. Um, it works for, people love it, but sometimes it doesn't have to work for everybody. So that didn't work for me. I got out and we had brought this little tiny stool I don't know why we brought a stool (laughs) that I was going to labor on this stool. So I sat down on my, on my stool on the floor and I'm in the throes of it. Um, And my midwife says, how about I check you? I think, let me check you. And I was like, no, no, I can't. No, just don't check me. I can't even like, I'm just living second to second here. And she says, no, I think you'll like the answer. 
how about I check you? I'm like, fine. And she is one of those wonderful midwives that doesn't have you, doesn't need you to be flat on your back to check you. So I didn't have to move. I was in this little squatting position in my stool and she checked me right there. And she said, you're nine. And talk about going into labor land and how you go to altered you know, brain spaces. And I knew what I was saying, but I was kind of in transit, you know, I'm a nine centimeters, I'm out of there. So uh, earnestly, like with all my heart, I said to her, I thought you were going to say 11. Now there's no 11, right? There's no 11. So what happened is the same thing. I can see you guys laughing. Same thing that happened in the room. Everybody in the room cracked up. And then I heard what I said. And then I realized it, and I cracked up as well. And that definitely lifted the mood of the room and it changed things. And then I started getting the urge to push. Um, so I was, I put, I did push, it was directed pushing. And now I know that if I'm nine, like I just let things continue to happen because the baby needs to rotate first before you push. Just opening the door at 10 is no reason to start it. But at that point, it was like, okay, yes, time, yeah, I can push. So I started pushing and then it got to directed pushing. And I pushed for about two hours. Now, up to now, my water has not broken, which is great. But there's this bulging bag of waters that's even as I'm pushing her down coming out of my vagina and so my midwife has a face shield on and she's kind of like moved over to the side waiting for this thing to to pop and then when it did it was like a water balloon and it actually there was so much pressure there that the water went flying and hit the wall (laughs) I mean the glamorous events of birth right ah um, but pushing was hard. Pushing was, I would do it differently. I would, it was, I was on my back and it was that whole thing, that idea, which I don't, I wish people would understand physiology a little bit more. This whole idea of like, no, you need to be on your back so you can, the baby go under the pubic bone. And that's, you know, they have to rotate first and then they can do the pubic bone hits the back of their heads and then they extend. So I wasn't doing that. I was just having to push myself and my uterus was, as I'm think, getting more into thinking brain and being coached, then the uterus is getting less oxytocin and it's it's a switch. Now I'm birthing with my brain, not so much with my body, which is definitely what I experienced that second half, that second hour. Um, and uh, it, you know, I was like, I remember I was so exhausted. I'm like, just get her out, just get her out, which... As a doula, I do hear people saying this. That's a comment. Just get her out. Um, just get her out. And somebody said, you know, you sometimes you just need to get mad and push. And I've heard that phrase before. I don't personally love it because in that moment I was thinking, but that's I anger has served me really well during my life in lots of different moments, but I didn't want that to be the energy that 
got my baby out. I didn't want to have that energy. But at that point, I was willing to try everything. And I was then I started talking to her and going like, come on, baby, just get out. You can do it. Get out. Get out. And I started yelling. Oh, the whole time I was such a loud vocalizer because of this persistent back pain. Like, I think I was yelling for hours on end and couldn't care less. Um, but yeah, I got mad and pushed and, and she came out and came right onto my chest. And whew, there she was. I want to go back a bit to the beginning. Um, and I don't know, like, this is the first time I've really um, thought about, or I guess heard it from someone else to allow me to think about it this way. But that moment where labor begins and you said it was kind of this like secret between you and your daughter. And I just think about how like special that moment is. And um, I, I like even started thinking about my own first, like when labor first started and I was like, is this it? Are we doing this? <laughs> and how many of us that kind of just, um, I don't know, we're not able to really enjoy it in that way, or maybe we don't think about it in that way. Right. Um, and when we share the story, it's just about the, like, here was how the birth was, but that, that moment is so special. Um, and I just wanted people to like, go back to that part. That was, that's just such a special place. I think, um, to allow yourself to kind of ground and center in and whatever that like the rest of the birth might be, but that is that like first special moment that you get to have with your kiddo. Um, yeah, and that was definitely my favorite part of the whole ordeal, just that, that first hour of just me and her and the wee hours of the night, because after that, it was just nonsense. I was, she was born at 12.55 a.m., so a little bit past midnight on our anniversary. So I guess there was a point to all that malposition baby in the struggle so that it would be a little longer so that she could make it to our anniversary. I absolutely received that. Um, I do believe that children just have a time, like there is this, this divine timing. And sometimes it's on a perfect day, right? We're sharing another special day um, and that it becomes this connection forever, right? It's like just solidifying. Everybody just has their own time. Even if you know, like, yes, some people labor for a couple of days. <laughs> some people labor, labor for three hours. There's like the gamut is just so wide. Like, as to when a child is for sure. But just that special moment you're talking about, though, um, that secret, that secret is that is precious. It is, and it is just like, when am I going to tell anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that moment is like it's you, the baby in the universe. Like it's the, you're in this special bubble that's just the two of you. And so I appreciate it when that like that that happened at that time of night as opposed to birth starting, labor starting at the middle of the day, because then you would immediately told somebody. But because everybody was asleep, it's the quiet time. It was so good. Yeah, it's my favorite. Um, and then the other thing for me uh, was when you were talking about, you know, the disruption during your labor. Um, and I think we do, we definitely in our work as birth workers try to, um, you know, share with the families we work with, like, 
any energy that comes in during that process has the ability to be a disruption or could be an addition, but just being mindful um, about what that can do. So if you're in the zone, you want to make sure that there's nothing that's going to interfere interfere with the ability for you to stay in that zone um, or stay in that sacred space. And like you said, you know, birthing with your mind instead of with the body. Um, and that can happen on any part of that journey, depending on, you know, who's in the environment, what's going on. Uh, yeah. And and why we try to, you know, to people who, if they are having hospital births, stay at home as long as possible. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> And what I didn't mention is so so my mom was visiting and my sister was visiting and my sister her her plane was that day like she almost if my daughter would have waited another day she wouldn't have seen her she during the birth itself during labor um, she went home and packed her bags and brought her bag to the hospital because she had to like see baby and take off but. Another thing I didn't know was the importance of garden, guarding the energy in, in your room, like you're saying, not just from the, the care providers, but also your family members who are there. So if I had both my sister and my mom in the birth room, not necessarily because it was a choice, but more because it felt like what I had to do, like they came to visit, so they should be here, Right. Um, and that created some weird dynamics because my sister couldn't, like, it was too much for her. So the good news is she was taking pictures and she took a gazillion pictures because that's the way she could participate in the event of she needed a filter, a camera in between herself and the rawness of birth in order to be able to navigate it, right? So she needed that barrier, that boundary. And then my mom was, she was having a really hard time with seeing her daughter in pain and I could feel that. And so I was also checking myself, it was that observation. I had to observe myself of how this was affecting her while she was sitting in the corner kind of praying. So that was really hard. I would do so many things differently, um, but that was one of them, you know. I always say, even though I had my sister and I had my mom and I had my husband and my midwife was there and the room was filled, filled with people, for me, labor was such a kind of miserable and lonely experience because I hadn't learned those soft skills of how to connect and support my own physiology of how to trust my instincts on how to mood with move with my body. I was, and, and so nobody around me was being helpful because what I needed was not, you know, necessarily words of reassurance, but I needed, I needed to have done a different preparation that not to anybody's fault, right? Not, it's just how people like this, how culturally we tend to tell people how birth is going to happen from a more observational medicalized point of view with markers and stages and dilation. So you're waiting for validation from the external where that's not where it's at. You need somebody who's going to help you connect with your process and get you deeper in and, you know, sway those hips or move however your body wants to move and say that you're disappointed or frustrated or, you know, reflect back and all those good things that doulas do. 
now that I know. <laughs> I'm gonna be taking um this is <laughs> Yes, the way this the way that you're just like it the soft skills, right? Um I mean for me, language um is very important on how I'm processing. So I'm just connecting with so much of that. So I'm over here nerding out, but whatever. Um <laughs> I'm glad it's resonating. Right? Yeah. Um, But, you know, the energy piece with with family can be tough. And I I do think it's important when people are preparing their space that they are thinking about that, but also the people who are saying they want to be a part of that space doing that work themselves. Like, what's my boundary? How is this going to make me feel? um, What will come up for me that might hinder me to support um, the person the way that they need to be supported because um, that work shouldn't fall completely on the birthing person like you know if I'm if I'm asking or if you are asking for me to be in your space I need to make sure that I'm prepared to actually do that absolutely and also like have a plan b because just as we tell birthing people you know have all the all the comfort measures that you think are going to help you like but maybe when you get to birthing you don't want that aromatherapy or you don't want that music maybe you don't want your mom there and so have a conversation with them ahead of time of like hey i think i want you there but maybe in the moment i won't so how can we go navigate that without you getting upset or feeling that it's about you right cuz i don't won't know like this if i'm feeling you're not so that I don't want you there, then the best way you can support me is by not being there. Can you reframe it that way or whatever? Yeah. Yes. Birthing people don't have space to hold other people. <laughs> There's no Say more that again. <laughs> I can't oh do it with you being concerned about me. I can't reassure you. I cannot make sure you ate. Uh, <laughs> all the things. I can't be on a timetable or a time on the clock because I know that you need to go back to work or you need to go back and do this thing and you're waiting for me to have this baby. Like, be free to go do the things you need to do so I can be free to just birth in peace and know that you're there even if you're not physically there, right? So. Yeah, and also because there's the unexpected part of like for people being at the birth, if they've watching somebody give birth, a lot of times their own birth stuff comes up. And then they're having to process that while trying to support you. And it just does not work. It's too much. Y'all, if you take anything from this, it's too much. So just stop. (laughs) It's too much. (laughs) I mean, think about... um... All the people that were there to support you in birth, what did postpartum look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, my sister left that day, right? And my mom did stay for a couple of weeks, but the problem was me. I tend to be so insane, or I tended to be so insanely independent and had such a hard time accepting help and didn't realize how important that was and that it wasn't failing or weakness or whatever, right? All these things that I had, all these ideas that I had around asking for help that I hadn't processed. So I was trying to just be more of a host and less of letting people help me. 
And I don't know. I, I wasn't dealing well with the fact of I wasn't feeling that people were there to help me, but I was having a hard time um, not feeling judged. And they weren't judging me, but it was like self-judgment of how does this look to me in your eyes kind of thing. Um, and so uh, about a week after my dad arrived as well. Um, and so that's why I was more like hosting and Again, I was, I hadn't spent any time with my husband's family. Not really. Like we just moved back. So it did feel like I had a lot of strangers that were also not my culture. I am, I was raised in Venezuela and have all my Latinx roots and we do things differently. And even though I've been here in the U.S. for since, you know, this time around, since 2001, so it's been a long time, um, and I'm a dual citizen and all the things, it's still not not necessarily my culture. So that was difficult, feeling like I didn't, I couldn't find my way. I had a really hard time finding my way. And I think that uh, let some depression set in. And then remember when I said, like, I didn't know all the things and was not good at asking help. So my daughter had a lip tie, not a tongue tie, but a lip tie, which meant she had a really leaky latch. And at the beginning, we were well matched. Like my milk was there for the size she was. But as she grew and this leak and needed more milk and this leaky latch was telling my body to make less milk, we were not in sync and um and she was hungry and I didn't know she was hungry so she wasn't and she was getting all this air when she ate so she was colicky she was fussy she didn't sleep she was hungry um it took about three months which is an insanely long time I feel so guilty and bad about not knowing and not not asking for help but it took about three months and then she got a bottle. And when she got a bottle, she was like, oh my God, this is what it's not having to work for this. And it was the first time I ever saw her have a full-on like milk coma face of just absolute bliss. Um, so anyways, that deteriorated into a, an exclusive pumping relationship where I pumped to feed her. And that's also its own little special nightmare right there. Uh, and I never saw a lactation consultant, which, again, uh, I did not know better. Um, but I And I did continue that until she was six months. And when she started eating solids, I was like, okay, this is as far as I go. I am done and I can't continue to do this anymore because it's just we're not enjoying each other. And now you can eat. And I felt like that was, that was what was right for me. Um, and yeah, so those, <laughs> uh, that was a lot of details to say that postpartum was difficult <laughs> to say the least. Jeez. The details are needed. But that's exactly what it feels like, right? Like you're just kind of all over the place with different aspects of it. And not one thing is more important than the other. Um, 
but it can feel like it is, right? Especially when it comes to like breastfeeding because you're always trying to put the baby at the top of it, right? And there's a relationship that's going on between the birthing person, the mom and the baby that no one else knows that what you're feeling and going through, they just see this happy little baby or the baby's growing and you're sitting there having all these different issues of your own, right? And trying to focus and figure out what will work best and, and at the same time putting these other things on the back burner that still need attention, which is you, <laughs> the birthing person. Yeah. And so much of my way of navigating life and my worth at that time was tied to my achievements. And like in birth, postpartum, like you need to be honing these soft skills during pregnancy because that's what you need for birthing, but also what you need for postpartum. Postpartum is all about your intuition and messiness and process of learning and going slow with your baby and a lot of observation before you do things that because I didn't have those skills, that made it harder. To me, success was measured by achievements. And I felt like I wasn't doing anything all day. Yeah, changed diapers and and poorly fed a baby. And it was just a struggle of survival day to day while my self-worth was being diminished each day. Um, so it took a lot to to figure that out and, and many years to be able to sit here with smile on my face and tell you all this with like, yeah, you know, that's what happens because in the moment I could not have articulated this to you when it was happening. I was like, you're saying, Danny, so in it that you just, you don't know what time it is and the sleep deprivation. And it is so hard, so much harder than anybody can imagine until you do it. And which is why we need like the village and support and, and also to change our beliefs around it and our beliefs of self-worth and say like, be able to accept the help, be able to be mother, mothered because that's a whole different, you know, you got to, that requires a shift as well. Ability, ability to accept help seems to be very challenging for a lot of people in that postpartum period as if they've been not been given permission to do so or at least to themselves. And then knowing that accepting help doesn't mean things are going to be the way you want them to be, but that it just gets done, right? Um, so like, no, you're not going to cook, but someone can feed you. And no, it's not going to be your chicken, but it's going to be some chicken. <laughs> so much. Yeah. Yes. So needed. Just let that bar. Just let that bar go. Not even lower. Just let it go away. Let it go. Let it go. Baby's here. You're working through postpartum. But you are also the creator of Birthful Podcast. Can you tell us about the birth of that and what listeners can connect with when, when, when they tune in to the podcast? Yeah. So birthful, like I said at the beginning, is six and a half years old. And it was, you know, once you become a doula, you you keep adding things of of knowledge of ways to support people. And I find when I started the podcast, it was actually my husband that he had a podcast for fun. And he's like, you should do the podcast because you have all the content. 
um, I was fortunate enough that he already had the equipment. So he just set me up and sent me on my way. And um, in my former life as a media person and a journalist, I also did radio in Venezuela for a, a daily show for years. So it was very much, it did feel like the coming full circle of myself and my my identities, right? By doing all this birth stuff that I do, but also in a way that communicates. Um, and so that's how that was born. In terms of what people can expect, they can expect a lot of information, but they can expect a lot of heartfelt knowledge as well. The tagline for the podcast is inform your intuition, because while we have all this knowledge out there, you know I, I consider you to be the expert in your stuff. And we're just there to provide the information and you take what resonates. Um, but then because I am a working doula, I also have the knowledge of being in the birth space and seeing so many birth experiences with the luxury of not having to do anything medical and figuring out how to support people in different ways and building relationship before and after. So you get a lot of that. Uh, in the podcast, you get similar conversations to the one we're having today, where we talk about what happened, but also being able to take one step back and look at it in that bird's eye view, and putting it into context, a lot of context into the intersectionalities of I'm nothing without context. <laughs> so, so I need to know like, well, but what, what are your special circumstances and your special needs? Um, and so in the podcast, I alternate between birth stories and interviews with birth professionals. And we talk about everything from fertility to pregnancy to postpartum birth, uh, identity shifts, breastfeeding, sleep, like the whole bit. Because I've been doing it for six and a half years, there is a birthful podcast for everything already. <laughs> it is a big, deep library of really amazing. I've been so lucky to talk to so many amazing and passionate birth professionals. I find that that's birth professionals are just passionate. Um, so really great, deep information um, about things you might've never even considered. Like I was saying of the identity shift, but you know, we talk about it all from perineum to <laughs> all of it, before, after, during, yeah. I think the one thing also back on that of what they can, they can, um, what they can expect to hear in the podcast is because I believe they're the experts in their own cell, in, the, in their own stuff, and I believe what they need more than anything is reassurance, validation, and encouragement along with information. My goal is to have them have that introspection of what makes sense for them, not what people and culture and medicine is telling them. And so the messages that I tend to get, my favorite, many messages are center around people telling me how the podcast made them feel so confident and really center around their choices, narrow those down, and have really amazing, wonderful birth experience, however they define them. 
because cesareans can be wonderful and amazing birth experiences. I don't care how you birth, but it's birth how you want to and really take the time to figure out how that is. So one of my favorite comments that I ever got from a listener was that birthful was their daily dose of I can do this. And so that's everything. Like, that's what you can expect on the podcast. I'm going to be cheering you on, but I'm also going to tell you context of the hard stuff of, you know, the system is broken and how do you navigate it and what can you do to change it and understanding, yeah, you're going to birth in this. So it's not that you can't have a great birth experience, but also don't have just rosy colored glasses when you go into it because then it's not going to be good. She's doulaing you through the podcast, y'all. <laughs> to sum it all up, she's your doula through the podcast. <laughs> Love it. Here for it. Yes, yes, yes. Grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing all the gems today, sharing your story with us, but definitely I know I connected. So <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Thank you for letting me share my story, have that opportunity. Yeah. I don't get to do that that often. So yeah. Um, and just also shameless plug. I do childbirth education and postpartum education. So Go to birthfulcourses.com and sign up so you can get more of this type of learning and this type of preparation for your birth and postpartum. One that really centers around you and gives you those soft skills. It's about learning to develop those soft skills. Yeah. No shameless plug. All the plugs. We're going to put the information in the show notes. People will find it. Get to her. Thank you so much. Listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 